0: It's time for another podcast rewind and the episode I've chosen this week is how to design the perfect buyer persona understanding who we're selling to is absolutely vital and makes all of our marketing decisions easier so hope you enjoy this podcast rewind episode whether you're b2b or b2c and whatever market you're in the fastest growing businesses have a clear idea of who they're selling to and they know how to position their offering to really appeal to that group when your offering matches exactly what your buyer wants, this is product market fit. And trust me, marketing is so much easier when you have product market fit. All of our most successful clients have always had great product market fit. In fact, this is one of the main reasons that some products and some businesses go viral, whilst on average, only half of all new startups make it to their fifth birthday. It's this concept of product market fit. But to get product market fit, of course, you have to understand who your audience is. You have to have a clear buyer persona. A buyer persona is a vital marketing exercise. It's something that we all have to do however mature your business is and in fact your buyer persona is going to change over time so it's worth revisiting every year or two depending on how often you're looking at this type of stuff. So today we're going to design your buyer persona in four steps. There's going to be four areas of your buyer persona. Now we're going to break up this episode into two halves if you like. In part one we're going to look at the information that you need to collect about your customers in order to build your buyer persona and test it and use it in your marketing. And then in the second half of this episode, I'm going to talk about how to collect this info in the first place. Let's do this. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim Cameron Kitchen, I'm CEO at Exposure Ninja. We're a digital marketing agency. We help our clients get more leads and sales from their websites and online. This is exactly what this podcast is all about today. We're talking about buyer persona and this is the way that you can resonate with your target customers more deeply so that when you're running ads or when you're writing copy or when you're publishing your new website, you know exactly who you're speaking to and you know what's going to motivate them to buy. So like I said in the intro, we're gonna separate this into two halves if you like. Half one, we're going to talk about what's going to be in your buyer persona and the four elements that you're going to include. And then in the second half, we're going to talk about how to actually get this info. It's no good me telling you, you need to know your demographics. You need to know your motivations and values if you don't know how to even get that information in the first place. So we're going to cover both parts. Let's think firstly about the different types of information that you'll need in your buyer persona. And by the way, I'm not going to patronize you by saying, oh, you need to fill in a sheet that looks like this and it needs these four headings. Some people want their bio personas in a spreadsheet. Some people want them in a sort of a, a, like a, a photo fit type thing where they've got a picture of someone and a name and all this type of stuff. Whatever format suits you is completely fine. All I care about is what's the information actually in your buyer persona. Now, the first thing that you're going to want to include is demographics. This is the thing that everyone defaults to with their buyer personas, right? This is important stuff to reflect in your product photography and your website. So for example, very early in my digital marketing career, I worked with loads and loads of dentists. We still do at EM. And one of the things that we noticed was a lot of dentists, when they had a website built for something like a service like uh, dental implants, for example, they'd have all these young, beautiful people on their site. And when I got talking to these dentists, they said, actually, you know what? A lot of people who are getting implants, often they're older folk. Um, So the fact that we've got these really young people on our site really doesn't make sense. And it was very clear that there was a demographic mismatch in the buyer persona there. So things like age, gender, their family situation, location, all of these are important things to include in your buyer persona, making sure that any images that you're using on your site actually reflect your target audience now of course you don't want to be exclusionary here in the dentist example there you might have uh, teeth whitening services that you'd be selling to a whole range of different demographics whereas some services might be a bit more suited to older folk because if you get this stuff wrong and if you just decide that actually my audience is this particular group but actually your audience would have been much wider if you hadn't excluded other groups then that's where this stuff can start to bite you. So demographics is really, in some ways, it's like like trying not to make a mistake with it, trying not to misrepresent your audience or trying not to exclude different groups, which actually could be good customers for you. Now, I wanted to talk through a few different examples here because there's some, you know, buyer persona stuff is notoriously light on detail. Everyone's talking about, you know, these are the things that you need to include, but it's very difficult to find examples out there of buyer personas in real life. And one of the reasons for this is because people don't tend to share them. So I'm gonna talk through some different examples of businesses that have clearly done this work, and we can see that they've done this work by how they present themselves online. So the first example we're gonna be looking at is in a couple of Google products. Now I'm not talking about like Google's B2B products here, we're gonna be looking at Nest Smart Doorbells and their security products. And we're also gonna be looking at Google Stadia, which is uh, one of Google's gaming products. So both of these are obviously the Google products, so they're from the same manufacturer. But what we can see from analysing their websites is that they have a very different buyer persona. So on the um, security site, and if you want to have a look at this, if you just search for um, Google Nest Security, then you'll see all of their different products. So these are things like um, doorbells with cameras in, uh, they're things like their security cameras and and stuff like that, right? it's Stuff around your home that you'd use to make your home a bit more secure or just because you want everything in your entire life to be connected to Wi-Fi. When you look on this page, you get um, nice aspirational homes. This is good quality interior design. But the thing that I'm most interested in for the buyer persona is, is the pictures of people that are used on this page. This is mostly folk who are in their 30s plus, And there is a lot of kids in this page. There's pictures of kids pressing the doorbells. There's pictures of kids sat around in a lounge um, or a sitting room where that's obviously, you know, designed to be a, a camera's view is looking at all of these kids. There's lots of pictures of dogs as well. There's pictures of what would look like a, a typical sort of garage in the US. All of this imagery tends to be in the US, but it is all very family oriented, right? This is not really young people. This is mostly parents. It's very clear that they are selling Google Nest security products to basically parents. If you had to give the buyer persona a title, it would be like middle-class parents in suburban America. That's the vibe that you're getting from this page which is entirely understandable because that's going to be the sort of um, group, I guess, that has the most to gain from this level of consumer security products. Now, if we contrast this with Google Stadia, which is one of their gaming uh, sides of things, so you can buy these little, um, you know, handsets and you plug a thing into your TV and it gives you access to loads of games. Well, obviously, the audience is very, very different here. Here we're getting lots of young people. We're getting people who are all like crammed into the same house. They're squeezed onto a sofa, hunched over their little controllers playing these games. There's no sign of the families playing with each other here. This is individuals playing in their bedrooms and people sat on a sofa together playing, which totally makes sense, right? This is so obvious. But the question I would have for you is it's very obvious to tell the difference between the Google Sadia audience and the Nest security products audience. Is it obvious who your audience is from your website? Do you have your demographics clearly called out through the imagery on your site? Who knows? (laughs) And by the way, if you're thinking, how do I even get this stuff? I might not even know some of this info. Well, we're going to talk about that in part two. So that's the first category is demographics. It's pretty basic. It's just like covering off stuff. You're basically just trying not to alienate people at this stage. Now, as we start to get a little bit deeper and a little bit beyond the surface level, the next type of information that we want to include in our bio persona is what I'm calling towards motivations and values. Okay, what are the things that your audience wants to move towards? Every person has towards motivations and away from motivations. So, towards motivations might be things like independence and freedom, right? So, you need to understand what the values are that your audience is buying from you and what you can sell into. Most people want things like healthy, happy, sexy, right? Those are the three main criteria that most people are using on a day-to-day basis to choose what they want. That's a towards, a set of towards motivations. And then you need to think, how you, how are you helping them to get to that? So I think this is probably most useful if we look at some examples. So if you're thinking about the typical cruise audience, right, if we go on Cunard.com, now Cunard is a huge cruise company, and the typical audience for cruises is a little bit older. And we see this reflected in the demographics on display on their website. So these tend to be slightly older folk, not really old folk, I would argue that actually they've pitched the, the, they've used models on their site, which represents slightly younger than the typical cruise audience. But If we think about the towards motivation, the shots are very glamorous. These are really well turned out people, very well dressed. It's very glamorous lifestyle which they're selling here. And this is obviously a towards motivation of people that are booking cruises. Now they know that these people are doing, there's loads of pictures of food, for example. They know that this is a big selling point. People are coming for a luxury experience. They're coming to eat lots of food. They're coming to drink lots of nice drinks. When they show exercise, it's not beasting it in a cage fighting CrossFit MMA thing. There aren't people throwing axes and smashing up stuff with baseball bats. This isn't get your anger out. This is yoga mats on the deck at sunset, right? This is a very, very different audience. So they're very clear that the towards motivations are things like luxury, relaxing, uh, bonding, socializing, lots of pictures of people in groups so couples in groups, right? Because that's another thing that they're selling. It's the relationships, it's the bonding, it's the being with like-minded people. Another contrasting example, recently I've been looking at different rowing machines and it's fascinating to see how the rowing machine market separates their audiences by their towards motivations and value. So I'm going to give you a very quick lay of the land in the connected fitness rowing machine market. You've got things like Avron, which is a rowing machine, which is very much around playing games and you're rowing things and you're making your Uh, Little characters shoot guns and um, you're racing against other people, all this type of stuff. Uh, Then you've got products like Hydro, which is much more, um, it's about the experience of being on the water. So you've got these instructors guiding you through different beautiful scenarios and all this type of stuff. And these are sold in completely different ways. Because the motivation, the towards motivation, the aspiration for someone who might be buying a hydro rowing machine is that they want to get fit. They want to bring the outside in. That's one of the phrases used on the site. These are all pictures of um, you know, rowing professional type people on open water. It looks beautiful. It looks serene. It looks peaceful. And there's coaching sessions and stuff like that. Whereas if we compare it with Averon, Averon almost looks like a gaming setup, right? The images are all blue. It's all like there's loads of crazy lighting on. They've got people like smashing it. They tend to be younger people. They're covered in sweat. They're, they've got their little characters that are playing these games on the screen. It's completely different. And what's apparent is that Hydro is selling motivation to work out, whereas Averon is selling fun. Okay, that's the main difference. The towards motivation. Are completely different. And by the way, if you want to see the visuals of this, then we've got a version of this uh, podcast on our YouTube channel. If you just search for Exposure Ninja YouTube by Persona," you'll find the video version of this. And I can I'll show you it on the screen. But what's interesting is the Averon site, the layout and everything. This is the gaming uh, rowing machine. The the layout and the colors and the imagery used is actually much closer to actually gaming hardware companies like Elgato where they sell different lights and cameras and headsets and stuff for gamers. And it's a pretty similar look and feel here because what they're trying to do is they're trying to tap in. They're trying to, you know, trigger that gamer that says, oh, you're at home because you spend your time on a lot of sites with like funky cool colors and, you know, people with headsets with ears on, like welcome home, you're in the right place. If that's what you're into, then you're gonna like our rowing machine because we're designed for you. So, it's really interesting to see um, how these different audiences are kind of segmented in, in the market. And often it's when you look at new markets that you're not actually in where a lot of this stuff becomes more apparent because as an outsider, you see this stuff much more transparently than you may do in your own market where you're so familiar with the different competitors that people's differences aren't so clear to you. So, we also want to know the towards motivations and values of your audience. What's most important to them? What are they trying to buy into? And what are their aspirations? What are they, what shortcut are they buying because they're buying from you? So for example, I don't know, if you're buying an iPhone, then you might be buying status, you might be buying reliability. You might be buying the fact that it works with the stuff that you've already got. You might be buying the fact that you don't need to learn how to use it if you're already familiar with it. If you're buying an Android phone, you might be buying the fact that you're not one of the sheep in the Apple crowd. You might be buying the fact that you're slightly different and that you're able to think for yourself and all this type of stuff. So if you think about the products that you know and the different options that are available for those products, you'll see how... Uh, These brands sell into these different towards motivations. The next group of um, the information, I guess, that we need to collect is away from motivation. So what is your audience scared of or what do they want to avoid? So, for example, um, in a previous uh, digital marketing deep dive, we looked at The Ordinary. The Ordinary is a cosmetics brand um, that completely changed the game, right? They're one of Desium's brands. And in a world of sort of marketing hype, where you can buy all these magic creams and potions that are designed to do all these fancy things and crazy uh, labels and beautiful models that look totally flawless. Well, The Ordinary has kind of taken a scythe to this and stabbed it and said, actually, you know what, most of the cosmetics industry is total fluff. What we're going to do is we're going to explain what each ingredient does. Then we're going to explain it in real kind of plain English. We're going to say, right, if you want plumper skin, you need hyaluronic acid and this product is hyaluronic acid and any cosmetics product that gives you plumper skin is just this hyaluronic acid thing. So that's what you're going to buy. We're going to sell it to you pretty cheaply. We're going to make it you know, plain looking packaging and you're just going to essentially buy the core ingredients and you can mix and match your own regimen. So it's a totally different positioning. But what they're doing is that they've identified that a key motivation in this market and a key away motivation is the feeling that you're being scanned or that the cosmetics industries are sort of taking advantage that there's a layer of marketing hype, shock, horror to their products. So they're selling against that. One of the really interesting phrases in their uh, in their marketing material is that they say, our offering is pioneering, not in the familiar technologies it uses, but in its honesty and integrity. So in other words, they're trying to standardize the technologies because the, the ingredients that make up these products are pretty standard, they're pretty regular. It's the same in everything really. But they're saying, you know what, we're just going to be honest and we're going to have integrity about selling it. So that resonates really deeply with their audience that has had a suspicion of what they've been told from other companies for a long time. And it means that they resonate really strongly with The Ordinary. So The Ordinary is kind of tapping into that. Um, Another example in this time in in trading and stocks and shares, right, is Trading 212. So they're one of the, um, you know, the new breed of commission-free investing for retail traders. Whatever you think about that as a concept, this breed of trading apps, it mostly is apps, they've made their money and they've made such an impact on the financial world today by selling against the previous complexity of stock investing. So investing in stock used to be gatekeepers. It used to be brokers. It used to be calling people up. It used to be having to know what you were doing. And all these new breed of apps like Trading Two on Two, Robinhood. What they've basically done is they've taken away all of that fear and intimidation, and they've gamified the whole thing. So it's really easy to just buy stock. It's you know it's as easy as buying a product on Amazon. A couple of taps. And there you go. You're a trader now. So again, they've sold against that fear. The towards motivation is making money. The fear is the away from motivation. And that's what they've been selling into. So commission free investing for everyone. A lot of these companies will talk about democratizing finance and democratizing. And of course, the thing that they're really saying by democratizing is that they're selling against elitism, right? So that's the motivation that they're tapping into there. I've got some experience in customer profiling. because I actually used to do it personally for our clients in the early days of Exposure Ninja. One of our clients sold a DIY product. Now, what we found um, in their customer research was that a lot of their customers and potential customers were concerned about their own DIY skills. So we were selling a DIY product that people would use and people would install in their own homes. But the customers had this fear that, ah, do you know what? I'm not sure I'm going to be up for this. I'm not sure I'm going to be Able to get this thing installed. So, this was really interesting and useful information for us because if we could address that fear, if we could address that away from motivation, and instead of talking about the fact that, you know, this is a DIY product, actually say this is so simple that anyone can follow the really straightforward instructions. You don't need to be a DIY expert. Not only would we sell more of our products, but we'd open up a huge market that wanted to buy a DIY solution but just couldn't get over the hurdle of that self-doubt. Another example is Exposure Ninja. A lot of our clients have been burnt before with their marketing agency. They don't know who to trust. They don't, you know, they know that they need to do some digital marketing, but they've had bad experiences with other agencies. And they're now at the point where they're saying, well, we don't, we don't really know what to do. We don't really know where to go from here. So that's one of the reasons that we share everything we know. We share this podcast, we share videos, we share books, we share everything on our blog. And the reason that we do this is to build trust and actually help people because once we've helped people with the information then hey if they need a digital agency then we can you know we have that relationship now so understanding your away from motivations allows you to build and refine your marketing strategy because you can address those fears and those potential objections in the stuff that you're putting out so what is your target audience actually scared of what's the stuff that keeps them either awake at night or stops them from making a decision, making a purchase. If you can help them get over that, that's fantastic. So, you need to include that in your buyer persona. Okay, we've got two more categories of buyer persona info, and then we're gonna talk about how to actually collect this info, which is really where a lot of this stuff, you know, this front half, if you like, can feel quite conceptual. Second half is where it starts getting really real. So, third thing that we need to know is are buyer personas habits online? where they spend their time online. Now, this means both the specific websites, the specific apps, but also the categories of online service that they use. So are they heavy users of social? If so, which networks? One of the most common mistakes we see being made is that a business or a marketing manager will say, do you know what? I'm absolutely addicted to TikTok. I totally love TikTok. So, I really want to get our business, our brand on TikTok. And when we talk to them, we realize that actually, well, whilst yes, there is some of your audience on TikTok, just because you spend your time on TikTok doesn't mean that your audience currently is spending most of their time on TikTok. It might be that they spend their buying time, their decision time about your product or service on LinkedIn. Or well, What are you are doing on LinkedIn? or oh, Almost nothing. Okay, right. So it's about understanding where they are now. Yes, of course, having an eye on where they're going to be in the future, but you're going to get the most return if you're building for what your audience's you know, habits and routines actually are. Rather than, you know, let's spend five years building a TikTok visibility so that hopefully if our audience does move over there, we're there and we're winning. Well, yes, that's one thing, but actually, you've got a whole bunch of people on LinkedIn now who are looking for this stuff and having conversations about it already. So let's focus on where they are with half an eye on the future rather than one and a half eyes on the future and only half an eye on today, if that makes sense. So, what times are they online? What sites are they visiting? What are their habits? Now, Again, when we talk about how to find this, a lot of this stuff will uh, will make even more sense, even more sense. Fourth thing that you might want to include in your buyer persona is a quote library. There's two categories of quotes that you might want to include in your buyer persona. And for some people, by the way, the reason that you're having a quote library in your buyer persona is that for some people, if they see a quote, either an actual quote or a sort of a simulation quote from one of your potential buyers, that's when this audience becomes really real to them. So you might include a quote library of things that your potential customers, your buyer persona actually say, right? So let's say that you're selling Nest security cams, for example, and you want to create the buyer persona. Well, your buyer persona quote might say something like, Um, It gives me massive peace of mind knowing that my house is okay while I'm at work, for example. Well, that's a really important quote when you're deciding what your marketing imagery, what your marketing copy, what what your marketing strategy is going to be, right? Because you know that that person is thinking about how I use this thing while I'm at work to make sure that my house is okay or to make sure that my kids are okay while I'm in another room. So this really ties everything together and allows you to, I guess, summarize the towards and away from motivations. You might also want to include in your quote library things that your business has said that resonate with your audience. Now we see this in the highest performing sales teams is that they have some sort of quote library which is shared where they will, for example, answer objections or they will have nice little sentences or a couple of sentences which are a good way of explaining a particular product or feature. And again, this is a way of summarizing the towards and away from motivations in a way that you know resonates with your buyer persona. So there we have the four areas that we want to collect information in. Actually, there's five, isn't there? <laughs> hey, there we go. Uh, demographics. we got towards, motivations and values. we got away from motivations and values. Their online habits and the quote library, which is optional, but a really good idea to kind of summarize everything. So How do you actually collect all this info? Well, before I take you through that, if you've enjoyed this podcast episode so far, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this. And also do leave us a review. We love reading the reviews. And don't forget, if you need help with your digital marketing, you can request a free website and marketing review from the team here at Exposure Ninja. This service is totally free and it's fantastic. So what you do is you go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review. That's ninja.com forward slash review. Fill in a bit of information about your business and it's just really basic stuff like um, what are your marketing goals? How are things working for you at the moment? What have you tried so far? What we'll then do is we'll have a look at your marketing goals. We'll have a look at your current situations. We'll do things like analyze your website, analyze your traffic sources from SEO, uh, content, social. We'll then put together a prioritized action plan that you can follow over the next six to 12 months of the things that we would suggest focusing on in order to reach those marketing goals that you told us about. We'll have a look at your competitors. We'll see what they're doing well that you can copy and exploit. And we'll have a look at the things that they're doing poorly, which you might really want to kind of turn the screw with. We'll put all of this info into a video, which we send over to you normally within two to three working days. This service is completely free of charge. So go to exposioninja.com forward slash review to request your free website and marketing review today. Okay. So we've got the areas that we're going to be looking at. We've got the areas that we need to collect info for. How do we actually collect this info in the first place? Well, this sounds really old school, but actually one of the best ways that you can um, collect info about your customers and sort of get to know them a little bit more, because you're not looking for necessarily massive data. You're looking for deep understanding of these people. I like to actually imagine the person in a room with me so I can ask them questions. I can work you know, work them out to the extent that I can really picture this as an individual. And a great way to do this is actually just to find them on Facebook, right? If you start finding enough of your potential customers on Facebook, have a look at the different stuff that they're sharing, have a look at what they're talking about, the language that they're using, that type of stuff. Even if it's not related to work, it's not related to the thing that you're selling them, This can really help you get an understanding of who these people actually are. A lot of the time with digital marketing, we're not meeting our customers. We don't necessarily, it's not not like you're standing in a shop and they're walking in all day and you're saying, oh yeah, do you know what? They're all like this particular age and they're all into these types of things. You might not have any sort of natural throwaway conversations with them at all. So you need to replace that knowledge, replace that picture of these people and Facebook is a good way to do it. Another great way to do it, this is a good way of finding quotes as well, by the way, is Reddit and Quora. Now, Reddit is a fantastic place to learn about what's most important to your customers. For example, let's say that you were in the, uh, you know, the connected rowing machine market. But if you go onto Reddit and you search for something like Hydro, which is a connected rowing machine, you can see how people are talking about these products. You can see how people are comparing them, which rowing machines they're comparing. You can see hundreds and hundreds of comments from people saying, I think you should buy this one because of this. I think you should buy this one because of this you can get inside those conversations that previously you would never have been able to see. And it is so interesting. You pick up on the language that they use. You pick up on what their towards motivations are, what their away from motivations are. You pick up on the level of expertise as well. And this can allow you to form a buyer persona to target these groups of people. And you'll often get different subreddits, which are you know, targeting different levels of expertise. Now, if you're B2B, the equivalent of this will be, well, there's going to be plenty of Reddits on these topics as well. If you're selling a large enough product, if you're super niche B2B, then you might find these in LinkedIn discussion groups um, and even just LinkedIn profiles. And, you know, when you go on someone's profile, if they're a potential customer of yours, you can often see the comments that they're leaving on other posts and by following those trains, again, you can begin to learn a bit about how they talk, what their motivations are and what's most important to them. Also using Quora. So Quora is the site you often see ranking in organic search. If you search for a question, often Quora will have a page that ranks. So you can go onto Quora at Quora.com and just type in whatever your product or your market is and see what sort of questions people are asking about it. Now, the reason it's so useful is you tend to get a lot of Um, responses, you tend to get a lot of comments and answers to these questions. And this is great because these people are basically telling you about what their values are and what's most important to them. So another rich source of information. Another rich source of information is your sales team. If you have one, your sales team is really the most expert on your potential customers of anyone in your business. If you've got a service team or product teams, they're a little bit insulated often from the actual front line of the customers whereas the sales team will know what people's motivations are because they're selling to them all day every day now the other thing that they don't Oh, so the other advantage that your sales team have is that they don't have any sort of survivorship bias. So if you talk to your account management teams or your, you know, your client relationship teams, they are only going to be able to help you profile the people that have actually become customers or clients. They're not necessarily going to help you with the ones that you're losing, whereas the sales team will know, well, the ones that we get look like this and the ones that we don't get look like this. So that can be helpful if you want to refine your buyer personas to expand your audience or you want to create a different offering for the audience that you're not currently securing. So asking your sales team is great. We'd often get, um, you know, sales team call recordings is really good as well. Um, Sales team email threads as well. And then we just comb through these looking for the information, the phrases that we can use to to add to the phrase library and that type of stuff. Other ways that you can collect this sort of info. So particularly if you're looking at people's online habits, Things like the devices that they're using, uh, the social channels that they're using, use analytics. So you've got Google Analytics for your website, and you can see things like demographics, mobile, time of day, that type of stuff, location, and that's all great. I wouldn't go, I wouldn't treat the interest, um, interest kind of categorization with too much trust because a lot of that stuff is totally fluffy and a pile of rubbish. But for things like devices that they're using, times of day, uh, days of the week, even locations, that type of stuff, really good. Um, and also your social channels. So every social channel will give you some sort of audience stats, which will tell you things like the best time to post based on when people are online. Also demographics, devices that people are using, that type of thing as well. But one of my favorite ways of collecting buyer persona info is interviewing your actual customers and potential customers. We've talked about this maybe two or three years ago on the Exposure Ninja podcast. Wow, we've been doing this a long time. But my advice here is that you should actually set aside a budget for this and a decent amount of time. The budget, because you actually might want to bribe these people to talk if you need to, right? So when we are doing this for clients, we'd offer people Amazon vouchers. And we'd say, we're giving you this Amazon voucher not to tell us, you know, the wrong answers, like tell us the stuff that we want to hear. We're just giving you this Amazon voucher for participating because we just want the most accurate data from you, the accurate info. You get the Amazon voucher, whatever you tell us. And by the way, we'd always position it as we're not actually working with the business. We're working as consultants with the business because then they feel a lot less likely to, um to you know, butter up what they're telling us to try and make us feel good. So we bribe them if we want to. We want to make sure that we're talking to the best customers or prospects, not the worst, because we want to be designing our buyer personas over the people that we want more of, not the people that we want fewer of. Now, I've got some tips on this because it's not as straightforward as it might appear. and I've done quite a lot of it and sort of refined the process over time. So if you want to gauge someone's towards motivations, i.e. why they buy something, don't just ask them, what are your towards motivations? Why would you buy something like this? Do you want to be sexy or do you want to be healthy? Like, What's the underlying reason that you're buying this shelving unit? Is it because you want to appear successful and wealthy to your friends? What you want to do instead is ask them really open-ended questions like, have you bought something like this before? And if so, what made you choose that one? What you're really looking to get is their selection criteria. And then, if you want, if you don't get the answer, you know, if it's a bit of a surface level, you say, "Oh, and why is that important to you? And why is that important to you?" Like the five whys thing. Now, this isn't some therapy session where you ultimately want to get to the fact that they've always felt inferior, and this uh, this rower is going to help them become the person that they want to be. And go and find a partner and live a life that's happily ever after. But what you do want to get to is a level below the surface thing where it's like, oh yeah, it looks pretty cool. Like that looks like it could be fun. And why is that important to you? Well, because I've always f- found it difficult to motivate myself doing exercise. I love gaming. So I thought that something that could combine those would actually be pretty good and would help me stick with my exercise regime, which I've always, you know, given up on after a couple of weeks. Bingo, there we go. So we got the towards motivation. Another question that we'd ask is, if you had to recommend us to a friend, what would you say? Because what they'll then do is they'll put their marketing hat on and they'll start thinking about the things that are most important to them. And this is a really interesting question because, or rather the responses are really interesting because you often get stuff that seems a little bit more basic than you would put in your marketing material. But actually to your audience, this is the stuff that is fundamentally most important. So if you had to recommend us to a friend, what would you say? That's a really key question to ask. We'll also ask them to rate the things that we think are most important. So. When I was doing these um, Biopersona calls, and still today when we do them, we'll write out the USPs or what we think of the USPs or the features of the business. So I remember one for a puzzle magazine that we were doing. So um, some, of the, some of the USPs were like we had really challenging puzzles, um, or that people could win prizes, or that people could use these puzzles to keep their mind active, or that the price of the magazine was low. So we were thinking about all of these different kind of USPs and we just ask people, you know, how important are each of these to your choice to purchase this particular one? And it was really interesting because often you'd find that the thing that was most important to your audience actually wasn't the thing that you thought it would be. The thing that you're investing all the money and the time in, you know, that like glossy cover and the fact it's a really good quality paper. So, well, they don't even care about that. They like the fact that they can win a Parker pen every year. You know, so it's about making sure that actually you're talking about in your marketing material the stuff that's most important to them, but that you're not overinvesting in areas which are totally irrelevant to them. My final tip on conducting buyer interviews is if you're going to ask for their age, ask at the end of the call once you've built the rapport, not right at the start. Okay. So the final question that we need to address is how many of these buyer personas, how many of these uh, customer reviews do you need to do before you can create your buyer personas? Well, I remember doing this personally for a client a few years ago. I spoke to the first five customers that they'd sent me on their customer list. I just picked them at random, pick five. And I basically had exactly the same conversation with exactly the same person five times. Right, Very quickly, it became apparent that their customer group was so narrow it was really easy to create their buyer persona. In fact, out of the five, I think two or three of them were called Jackie. So we called the buyer persona Jackie because, you know, statistically, like 60% of this business's customers were Jackie. Well, you get the point here. So if you find that your customer group is really narrow, you might only need one buyer persona and that might be absolutely fine. And in many ways, this makes your marketing job easier because then you can just show Jackie all over the site. You can create all your emails and your copies specifically Jackie, but at the same time, you might need to create a few distinct personas. If we compare sportswear brands, a company like Sweaty Betty, Sweaty Betty has a single customer persona called Kate, the name of my wife. My wife is basically the Sweaty Betty customer persona. So when you go into Sweaty Betty, everything about that experience, every product in that store is designed for this Kate figure. But if you look at a brand like Nike, well, they sell a range of products to a range of different customer types. There are people that are spending all day in their tracksuits as they're hanging around outside their house. There are also high-performance athletes who are looking to buy, you know, the best products for to help them shave off three minutes on their marathon. Well, same brand, Nike, but they obviously need completely different personas to talk to these different groups. And by the way, that's why they have different sub-brands within Nike, which are designed to resonate with each of these groups. So How many buyer personas do you need to create? As many as you need to. That is the trick. Try and limit it. If anything, you don't want to end up with 15 different buyer personas. Otherwise, you're really going to have to start segmenting your marketing and talk about different sub brands more often, which is exactly what Nike has to do, right? You've got the Jordan, you've got the skateboarding stuff, you've got the golfing stuff, and these are all going to have different buyer personas for them. That's going to make your marketing job a lot harder. It's going to mean you have to segment everything that you do. Whereas If you go too far the other side and you just have one single buyer persona and this is the Nike person, well, that's not really going to resonate because you're going to need completely different messages to resonate with each of those audiences. So make as few as you need, but no fewer than that. Okay, so I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you've got any questions, feel free to hit me up, tim at ninja.com. Don't forget to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. You can check out the video version of this on Exposure Ninja's YouTube channel. Until next time, see you soon.